0: I'm here to uh, invite our storyteller up here, and uh, I don't know how many of you have met him. And it's been a real pleasure for me to know him over these last couple of years. If you do meet him, I think you're going to feel tempted to call him like a good guy. He's like a really good guy. And if you are uh, somebody looking for a marriage partner for yourself or for somebody else, (laughs) you're going to think, man, this guy is really good marriage material. But then as you get to know him, all the delusion and illusion, it all fades, and you get to know the real him. He's just another guy. But he's a wonderful guy, and he taught me how to uh, row properly. So I'm really uh, appreciative of Charlie for that. So Charlie, come on up and tell us your story.
1: Unfortunately for anybody looking for dating partners right now. My girlfriend's over there, so. Uh, I didn't I didn't tell Peter that before, so it's not his fault. But um, yeah, so for those of you that I don't know, uh, my name's Charlie. My parents are Carl and Kim Gardner. My dad's on the board here, um, and my mom heads up the Connections Ministry here. Uh, I went to Mercer Island High School. I graduated in 2013, and I've been at the University of Washington for the last five years, uh, starting my fifth year now for an accounting major. Um, So Peter originally texted me and was asking me to tell a story, and the passage that he was going to speak on at the time was John 8. Um, It's no longer the passage, but um, that passage starts with a story of the Pharisees that are getting ready to stone an adulterous woman. And there was a line in there that said, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And so I was reading through that. I was trying to come up with a story that I could relate to a passage. And I thought of hypocrisy because, like Peter, I, I tend to consider myself to be a good person. But definitely a hypocrite here and there. So, um, so my story is this. I'm, uh, I'm 22 now. Like I said, I'm just finishing up at UW. And when I was a freshman at UW, so about three and a half years ago, I was on the rowing team there. Um, and for those of you who have read the book, which statistically probably a lot of you the boys in the boat, or maybe some of you who have been on a rowing team at some point in your lives, rowing tends to be a pretty big grind. And it's not the best, like, not a lot of people know what it is, not a lot of people appreciate what you do when you're rowing, but it's a lot of hard work for the guys that are on the team. Um, And so freshman year, one of the guys that I was living right next to in the dorm, who was actually another Mercer Island graduate um, and a good friend of mine, was he's living right next to me and he was on the team and he got injured and so he ended up having to miss a lot of time and at the time like I had been injured a bunch of times in high school so that wasn't what bothered me at all but as the days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months this guy just wasn't getting healthy or he wasn't coming back to the team and it started to weigh on me a lot because for people that commit themselves to to something and really dive all in, you know that if somebody else is not as committed as you are, it tends to weigh on you a lot, um, and it almost becomes like personally offensive if somebody's not as committed as you are to something. And so this guy was a good friend of mine, but he just wasn't committed to it, and he wasn't trying to come back to the team, and so it started to bother me a lot. Um, and so as time rolled on, I kind of just got to the point where I just accepted that we weren't really going to be that close. We weren't going to be friends because it was such a big deal to me. Um, and so I just kept going on with my business. And we finished out what was a pretty big year for the rowing program at UW. And we won our fifth straight national championship. Um, and it was kind of at that time where my heart just wasn't in, in it for rowing anymore. And it was something that I had invested so much of my own identity into rowing for years, and so it was a really tough time for me to come come to terms with the fact that I wasn't committed to it like I once was and I wasn't really all in. Um, and so I remember I went home that night and I called my parents and sat there and I just lost it because I was so committed to it for so long and couldn't believe that I was about to quit. Um, sat there crying and telling them that I was just done. Um, and then the next morning I went in and I quit. And it was all sprung because our coach at the time gave a speech the day before that was one of those resonating speeches that felt like it was spoken directly to you, even though it's like a room full of people like this. Um, and he was standing in front of us and he told us, if you're not here, if you're not all in, um, and if you're questioning your commitment to the team, then he pointed to the door and he said, there's the door and you can, you can leave right now. Um, And I didn't leave at the time, but it was one of those moments that, like, you literally felt like the eyes were just on you, and he was talking directly to me. Um, And so I I went in, and I quit. And then I came home that night to my roommates, who were all on the rowing team at the same time as me. Um, And they were definitely less than pleased to find out that I was going to be quitting, because I hadn't told any of them before I went in and I did it. Um, And so a lot of these guys were actually pretty angry with me. And it, it hadn't been until that moment that I realized that I was being a hypocrite to a good friend of mine for, for over a year. Um, and it was all because his heart just wasn't in it. Um, so long story short, that passage, when it stuck out to me, it was because you never really know what somebody else is going through. Um, and I wrote this line, and Peter liked it, so I'm going to throw it out there. Um, the moral of my story, I guess, is... Before you throw your stone, hold on to it for a few minutes and do some self-reflection because you never know when you might be able to empathize with the person that you are aiming at. Um, So that's my story. Hopefully that helps everybody know a little bit more about me. Um, I'm also doing a scripture reading. So this morning, the scripture reading is from various texts about baptism. Uh, The first one is Romans six. 1 through 5, which, okay. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The second passage is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 12-13. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And then the final one is Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, that says, there's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over, All and through all and in all. The Word of God.
0: My name is Peter, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to take a break from the book of John. And we want to focus on the concept and practice of baptism. What is it? How are we to think about it? How do we do it? Why do we do it? Uh, I'm going to take a few minutes to do this, and then I'm going to invite our uh, folks that are getting baptized up here, and each of them are going to tell you their own connection to baptism and why they are doing it today. Baptism is about connectedness. Baptism in and of itself is actually meaningless You heard it here first at church that baptism is meaningless because it's powerless as an act or ceremony by itself. And uh, we see this in other examples too. Wedding ceremonies, do you know, are meaningless? By itself, it's powerless to do anything. We know that a marriage ceremony represents something far bigger and greater. And you, if you have to choose between <clears throat> marriage or a wedding, you always choose the marriage. Right? If you have to choose a, um, a loveless wedding or a love-filled wedding, you choose a love-filled wedding. And the reason you do this is because you know that the ceremony itself, by itself, doesn't do anything. And so we have to ask the question, what is baptism about and why do we do it if in and of itself it's meaningless because it's powerless? All of the power and the meaning of a baptism is found in its ability to connect us to God and to connect us to each other. The power is in the connection. Baptism is beautiful and it's effective, and we practice it to this day because it symbolizes the connection to God. Uh, this is one of my wedding, standard wedding advices, is if you're going to spend money for your marriage, I always, add, I always suggest if you have to choose between the marriage or the wedding, spend the money on the marriage, You know, don't spend $20,000 on the ceremony. It's for one day for guests who will hardly remember it. They'll be critiquing it the whole time behind your back. They're just looking forward to the reception and the dancing. They just want it to be good for them. And why spend all that money just on the ceremony? If you have to choose, take all that money and invest it into your marriage. Find the best counselor there is. Spend some time and money traveling the world and connecting to each other and developing your intimacy and experience that together. So this is, nobody's ever taking me up on this, by the way. (laughs) People always choose the wedding uh, because it's the wedding. It's a big deal. Uh, But if we could have it both ways, that'd be great. If we can invest in both the wedding and the marriage because the power really is in the connection itself. That's why the Christian church has maintained that baptism is what we call a sacrament. And sacrament, the vehicle uh, by which grace comes, that's what the word sacrament means. The point is not the vehicle. The point is what comes through it, and it's the grace. If you don't experience grace through the sacrament, there's no value in the sacrament in and of itself. And so this is the first point I want you to understand, that baptism by itself, you're right, those of you who are cynical or critical about what baptism is, it is meaningless. It's just human gesture. It's just pomp and circumstance. We sort of just do it, but we do it because we hope that there's real power and grace coming through it. I was reading, I'm reading this book, I'm about halfway through, it's by Jonah Lair. Uh, You may remember him. He was a a really fast-rising author, and he was somebody that was trying to bring science and the humanities together, and so his writing is kind of beautiful writing, but he also goes in-depth into the science of the subject matter that he's writing about, but Uh, his career and reputation began to crash and burn because he was found to be plagiarizing and cheating and lying and uh, just he went off the deep end and he was shamed and sort of ostracized out of the world. But then in 2016, he came back with a book and the book is called A Book About Love. And this whole book is about the power of connectedness. And he uses a psychological term called attachment. And if you talk to anyone in the psychology world, they'll tell you everything. All of the healing that we pursue, it's really about this one word, attachment. It's your ability to connect to another human being in loving and supportive ways. And if you sort of miss the window on how to be attached properly to others, it sort of begins to wreck your physical health and mental health and emotional health. So all of the seeking that we do in therapy, uh, it's about reattaching, learning how to attach. And I would suggest to you that uh, baptism, you may think it's like a, a, a hokey tradition that's unique to Christianity, but it's actually addressing this universal need to learn how to attach again. And what the Bible teaches is different. It's it's not just about attaching to anything or anyone. Yeah, that's actually quite helpful because it's a stand-in for the ultimate connection and attachment that we're looking for, which is attachment back to God. And this is what the Bible teaches, that through our failures and through mistakes and through sin... We are separated from God. We become detached from God. Separated is the word that Paul uses. And then baptism symbolizes us reattaching back to God again. And somehow this fundamental, foundational reattachment to God begins to right the whole ship. And everything about our lives and ourselves begins to be healed and fixed again. Baptism is about connection, but notice the uh, phrase I put up on the screens here. It says receive baptism because this work of reattaching to God is not something we can do. The Bible teaches that we are actively in rebellion against God. We don't want authority back in our life. We don't want somebody else to have to say so. We don't want to have to be accountable and answer to somebody. And so there's a kind of fist shaking, whether we call it that or not, that we're doing towards God. And so God, while we are dead in our trespasses, is how the Bible puts it, unable to reattach ourselves, God pursues us. And does 100% of the work necessary to allow us to say yes to his work. Of reattaching us to him or reconciling us to himself. And that's why if you want to be theologically correct, you don't get baptized. You don't do baptism. You don't do anything. You are receiving God's baptism over you. And that's why it's so important that Jesus himself was baptized. We're all baptized into his baptism, his work. That's what matters. He is our attachment to God. Okay, second thing about baptism. No, I just did this, didn't I? Yeah, baptism is not something you do or even get done to you. But it's something that you receive. So connection to God is greater than the ceremony. I think I flipped those two words. Okay, let's go on to the third. Uh, The third point I want to make is that baptism is primarily a universal practice that Christians practice in specific. If you study history, you see forms of baptism for as long as man has been man. We see this in ancient religions and ancient cultures. They sometimes cover themselves in blood. They painted themselves. They immersed themselves in some kind of life-giving fluid as a way to transform themselves into something that's bigger and better than themselves. We have a universal impulse for something like a baptism. And you you see, even in the passage uh, uh, that Charlie read for us, when uh, John is Uh, Getting when John is baptizing Jesus, we know that it's not an original Christian practice because there were no Christians back then. Jesus hadn't showed up on the scene and John is baptizing, and none of the Jews or Gentiles bat an eye because baptism was normal, especially if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, and you wanted to be converted to become a Jew, then the way you did that was you got baptized, you got immersed in the water, and you were lifted up out of the water. And when you came up out of the water, you were now a Jew. And so uh, I would ask the question of non-Christians in this room, I know, I suspect that you have an impulse to be baptized, to be cleansed, to be made new. And in your system or belief, how will you practice this universal impulse for baptism? How are you made all right or okay? How are you set on a new pathway? How does change, fundamental change, happen for you? How is it expressed? And I would say to you that the Christian church offers this very thing, and we call it baptism. Uh, Fourth and lastly, baptism represents an identity shift. The word baptism... Uh, the Greek word baptizo, it literally just means to immerse or dip or to sink. But if you study the Old Testament and you, we read about acts of baptism in the Old Testament, the Bible never thinks about this word just literally, just in the physical sense of immersion. In the Old Testament, for example, you'll find that it means to be overwhelmed by or to be defined by. And so sometimes characters in the Old Testament were baptized or immersed in their sadness they were overwhelmed by their sadness because they lost a loved one and what the bible is teaching is that this idea of being baptized doesn't just mean to be literally dipped or immersed in water but it means to be completely overwhelmed and redefined by and so if you're baptized in sadness That's what you are now. You're not just a person anymore. You are a sad person. That's your new identity. And so the Bible says, no, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, meaning you're going to be overwhelmed by God's love for you, by the reality of God. And your identity on this planet is going to fundamentally shift if you are immersed in God. The way you see changes, and therefore everything changes. The the defining trait about you is that you are a new creature in Christ through your baptism. And so these are the, I think, four markers, significant markers of what a baptism is. Let me summarize it for us uh, in this paragraph here. Christian baptism is a public act that expresses outwardly through ceremony the inward reality of connection to God and to each other, which is the fulfillment of a universal desire for cleansing by and connection to God. Baptism is often public because the life-giving connection is not just God but also to each other in mutual support. Baptism, in essence is received because it is an act of grace and not of works. To be made right is to be connected to God and to each other through Jesus Christ as enabled by the power and ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And baptism marks this righteousness. I think baptism is a beautiful ceremony if we understand what it is, if we understand that God's love is conveyed through it that it's his advocacy for us on our behalf to connect us to each other and to himself. Next, I'd like to invite Tess, Creed, and Sean to all come on up. They've each prepared a few statements on uh, this day's meaning for them. And we're going to start with the prettiest, uh, yes.
2: We did a question and answer. Why do you want to be baptized?
3: To celebrate God and Jesus.
2: And what did Jesus do?
3: Die on the cross and take away our sins.
2: So what does it mean to be baptized?
3: To go... Under water if you believe in God and Jesus to start a new
0: life. Thank you. I wish you all could see your handwriting. It's so cute. And creed?
3: Hi, my name is Creed Finnefrock, and I am 13 years old. I want to be baptized because I want people to know that I love God and am committed to following Christ's teachings. In addition to being an act of obedience in Christ, baptism is a way for me to express my faith publicly and show how thankful I am for Jesus dying on the cross for my sins and giving me new life. I spent the first 10 years of my life growing up in rural Asia among an unreached people group, where I often saw people worship idols, make sacrifices to their ancestors, and live in fear of spirits. My parents taught me and others about Jesus' sacrifice and what it means to live in freedom. I saw the joy and change in our friends that my parents worked with when they received Jesus, and I also desired to grow close to God. When I chose to follow Jesus, I experienced the comfort of my salvation and wanted everyone to know how wonderful it is to be a child of God. You don't have to live in fear, you don't have to try to be accepted by others, and you don't have to be alone. I'm so grateful to be part of God's community here on earth and in heaven. I love learning from God's word, and it is my desire to walk in God's ways all my life. I'm happy that today I can express my thanks and decision to follow Jesus by getting baptized. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
2: All right. My name's Sean Davis. Um, I'm a little bit of a slower learner than these two. <laughs> um, because Chris Campbell's here today, I guess I will start my explanation somewhere else. Um, Chris was the uh, the youth pastor when I was in uh, high school and middle school, and we had the Chick Conference, and I can still remember breaking down and going to Chris because... I could see um, the closeness that people around me had to God, and I could logically reason my way around why there is a God and, and how there has to be a God, but I couldn't feel a closeness, and I, I broke down, and Chris Chris was there for me, and he, he, um, I can still remember that conversation, and a lot of it boiled down to God's timing is everything. Um, and that these things grow and develop. And um, I'm sure many of you remember I was on stage pretty recently and I shared my story, and I won't rehash it, but a lot of that, looking back now, I see that there's just an inescapable truth and wisdom and love that <clears throat> over the last few years especially, I would grown so weary and, and worrisome and tired watching my back being encouraged to do things that I know are sinful, and being forced to apologize for things that I know are righteous. And um, I'm just ready to to lean in all the way and uh, be submerged in his love.
0: invite all of us to pray for these guys, and I hope all of you can come right after service. We're going to aim to start as soon as possible at Luther Burbank Park. The directions are in the table, uh, in the back if you don't know, but we'd love to see you all there. And I want to just mention that this baptism is so special for me because part of the New Testament dream of the Bible is that the church hierarchy is flattened, that it's not about paid professionals, but it's about the whole body of Christ functioning together. And so we're going to have Sean's dad, Tim Davis, baptizing Sean, which is so cool. We're going to have uh, Jake Finnefrock, Creed's dad, baptizing Creed. And we're going to have our children's pastor, Elise, baptizing this little cutie right here. So uh, it's just going to be cool, and you get to hear from them and what they have to speak over their lives as they uh, do their baptism. So come bear witness to that, and know that they're being baptized onto this community, into this body, and they become partly our responsibility. And so it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great weather day also. And I think Jim Zorn, Seattle's first quarterback, is going to be kayaking to the lake and meeting us there. So uh, it's going to be good, is all I'm saying. (laughs) All right. Let's bow our heads and let's pray for these guys on this day. God, you have uh, been doing a precious work to knit our hearts together as a church family. Your word says so that we are one body in Christ. And so I pray, God, that we would support each other today and uh, bear witness to this incredible work that you've been doing for a long time in these hearts here. And we know that uh, their baptism represents all of our need to be immersed in you. And so, God, I pray that we would all be encouraged and fed today as we bear witness to these three saying yes to you in this most unique and meaningful way. God, we love you for the grace in our life And we entrust these three into your good, faithful hands. And we pray for them and send them forth in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys.